welcome to Walk in the Truth podcast. This season of messages takes us through some of the great comeback stories in the Bible. Pastor John Metter of Cross City Church will show us how God can take any situation in any life and bring hope and victory out of hardship. These messages will inspire you to trust God in your own challenging seasons. If you have your Bibles, please take them to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25 today. We're in our God's Not Done With You series. And uh, we've been walking through the stories of some of the greatest heroes and characters of the Bible and how God has used them in really special comeback kind of stories. Every one of these characters have had to come back from something highly unusual, very difficult, challenging circumstances. And today it's about the lady named Abigail and an incredibly toxic marriage and relationship and how God met her in the middle of that. The title of this message today is Difficult People and the Goodness of God. Now, I love that title, Difficult People and the Goodness of God, because we know those things are both true at the same time. Now, without taking a show of hands, without actually voting on this, let me ask you, do you know any difficult people who are in your life? Just kind of nod your head. Some of you are actually laughing right now as I ask that question. Some of you are looking to your right or left. I hope you're not looking at that difficult person. But how many of you also know that the goodness of God is a real thing? That in the midst of difficult people or difficult circumstances, the goodness of God stands side by side in alignment with you while you walk through those times. And the lady whose name is Abigail is going to be an incredible example of what that's all about. On the worst end of spectrum of relationships, you have this word that we use from time to time, toxic relationships. Toxic relationships are dangerous relationships. They're threatening kind of relationships where dysfunctional, narcissistic people are in our lives. And it brings about a lot of destruction and a lot of difficult. And I'll tell you this, I love that the Bible does not hold back from these examples. In fact, as you read the Bible, you have to conclude that the Bible is about real truth and about real people in real difficult times, and about the real intervention of an amazingly good God in spite of all the difficulty we have in the world. Let me just say this. We live in an evil, wicked world. That's what we live in. We live in a sinful world. There's no way that any of us can think we can escape difficult people or difficult circumstances or difficult relationships. But God is everywhere. He is almighty and he is ever present and that means that even though we face difficult people we have the goodness of God to help us through those times today that's what this story is all about I want you to stand with me as we read several verses of first Samuel chapter 25 in one chapter one of the most amazing women in scripture comes to life and we see her story beginning in verse 2 of chapter 25 of first Samuel now, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. Now, he was shearing his sheep, and David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and he said to the young men, Go up to Carmel. Visit Nabal, greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, have a long life, and peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shivers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. 
Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son David. They were looking for food. They were hungry. Verse 9, when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name. Then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered from my shivers and give to those men whose origin I do not know? So David's young men retraced their way and went back, and they came and told him according to all these words. And David said to his men, David's angry now. He's hungry. His servants are hungry. Those following him are ready to go with him. He says, I want you to gird up every man on his sword. And David also girded on his sword, and about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed behind with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us, and they were not insulted. We were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were on the fields. They were a wall for us by day and by night, and all the time we were with them, we were tending the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you should do, for evil is plotted against our master, that would be Nabal, and against all his household. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Long phrase, long statement, a little bit of detail there. Let's ask God to bless this passage. Father, in Jesus' name, take these words and this narrative, this story. Take this incident that happened with Abigail, Nabal, and David. Show us how your goodness meets us, even in difficult moments. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated if you would. I love this story for so many different reasons. And as you open up with the introduction here that we read, you'll see what I would consider the Instagram version of Abigail. She's beautiful. She's intelligent. She's wealthy. She has everything going on for her, it seems, on the outside. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you'll realize she's in a toxic relationship with a man named Nabal. Even his closest servants call him worthless. His name itself in the Hebrew means fool. I have no idea how that was bestowed on him or why, but the reality is this was a foolish, worthless man. And Abigail is married to him, and they're in this kind of situation way out in the wilderness where they are shepherding all these sheep. Now, the reality is today, this is not a message about marriage, even though Abigail is married. It's not a message about motherhood, even though she is a mother, we learn later. But it's really about how we deal with relationships, and especially difficult relationships, how we handle them, how we view them, what we look to God to help us do in the midst of all those things. And Abigail gives us some amazing insights about how to navigate the complexity of relationships including one principle I'll give you a little later in the message that I believe will be one of the best guiding principles for all your relationships for your entire life. I believe that principle merits that kind of description. So listen carefully to what I say in these next few moments. So I'm going to break Abigail's life and this account down into three different areas today. First of all, we're going to look at the circumstances that God uses The circumstance in this particular case was this very, very tough marriage. In verse 3, it says, The man's name was Nabal, 
and the wife's name was Abigail. And we've read that text, and, and when you read that text, you have to just kind of step back and say, wow, so much detail here. Why does the Bible give us so much detail that would be considered someone's dirty laundry? And I think one reason is because God wants us to know that every life is not perfect. In fact, no life is perfect. And every relationship has some mess in it. And sometimes those messes are really bad. We see real life, real circumstances in the Scripture. And when we see those real circumstances, and we identify with them in ways that say, yeah, I know that pain and I know that difficulty, they're there in the Scripture to bring you encouragement. Most of the time when people have difficult circumstances, they pray this way, God changed my circumstances. Now, we want God to make it easy for us and comfortable for us. And I remind you again, we live in a sinful world. It's not going to be easy, not going to be comfortable. If you've got an easy life, hang on. At some point, it's not going to be so easy as you think it's going to be in the long run. But we have this kind of story that says, wow, at least my circumstance is not as bad as Abigail's was. was. And we can say that about a number of those characters in the Scripture. But we also know this. We see how God has a way of using the worst circumstances in the best ways. As we walk through this Old Testament series, God's Not Done With You, almost every character we deal with has been through some rough, rough stuff. And, and as we look back on their lives, we have principles that describe how God works through tough circumstances. I want you to know that first before we get into the details. God always is there, present, aware, and can help you through tough circumstances in life. We looked at the life of Joseph. Joseph went from being rejected by his brothers in a highly dysfunctional family to being thrown in the pit. They intended to kill him, but the good side of that was they eventually just sold him to traitors going to Egypt. So that was the good side of that particular season of his life. He was falsely accused, thrown in prison. After two years of being in prison, he was forgotten by those he had helped interpret the dreams. I mean, his, his life was a roller coaster ride. Finally, these 10 evil, wicked stepbrothers come into his presence after God rescues him from all that and this guy, Joseph, has these words to say to those brothers. And it really is a fitting ending for the whole story. It's Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's how God redeems circumstances that are disastrous. He does that in Joseph's life. He does that in Abigail's life. He does that in our lives. We also have invoked this principle, this verse, over and over, Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We talk about difficult people, but we also talk about the goodness of God. And those two verses remind us that God is always good. He's always working. He's always redeeming whatever circumstances that we face, no matter how bad they are. I think these, these uh, kinds of details are recorded so we might be encouraged. We might have hope that in my circumstances, God can even use those. I hope you're encouraged by that today because I believe it's a fact. The real question is, how will you face and respond to your circumstances. And that, that's what Abigail is going to teach us today. So first of all, the circumstance God uses. Secondly, we look at the life of Abigail today for a few moments. And as we look at her life, we're going to see the character that God honors. There's a certain kind of character this woman has with which she faces this toxic relationship, this disastrous kind of confrontation. And the entire story turns on her responses. 
Now, you've, you've heard the first 13, 14 verses. In verse 14, as this confrontation is brewing, Nabal's disrespected David, and here David comes, and so a servant comes to Abigail. And in verse 14, it says, one of the young men told Abigail. All of a sudden, this all rests on her shoulders. David's not going to turn away. Nabal's not going to turn away. It all rests on her. Now, as you read the story, you see these two men are on a collision course. They're about to clash in a huge way. Nabal has responded to David's polite request to help feed his men with a refusal and with disrespect. The Bible uses the word scorn. And basically, he's challenged David, who are you? You don't matter to me. On the other hand, David is a young king to be. He's a warrior. The young boy who killed Goliath, he's not afraid of Nabal. He's got 600 men with him, 400 of whom now have swords girded on, on their horses, coming down the mountain. What do you think is going to happen? Well, it's not going to be pretty. Not going to be good. And all of a sudden, the servant comes and says to Abigail, here's the scene. Here's the scene. David's coming. He's mad. He's been disrespected. Nabal has been acting foolish. And what we have is what I call a toxic situation. Now, whenever I use the word toxic, let me define it for you. A toxic situation is one that means it's a dangerous, poisonous, destructive kind of situation or kind of a relationship that might not change. Toxicity means it's been poisoned. Literally, that's a word that's used to describe toxicity. It's poison. And just in this interchange that we read about in these first few verses, it's, it's amazing how poisoned this whole conversation has become in just a few moments. I just want to pause for a moment and, and ask the question, how many women have stood in the gap in toxic situations where the responsibility is on them to protect their family or their marriage or their future when everything else is poisoned? And my response to that question, if I were asked, would be multitudes of women have been in that situation. And multitudes of them have been able to stand up and act with character. And that's what we have a picture of here. This strong woman that stands up at the right time in the most difficult moment during the most urgent seconds and does the right thing. I love examples like this. So let's look at what she does. First of all, she takes responsibility. She takes responsibility. Is it her responsibility that this collision course is happening? No. But she steps up and says, I know what's happened. I know how this is unfolding. So she says, after hearing, no one consider what you should do. She says, I'm going to take responsibility. And everything she says in those verses following demonstrates that she is taking responsibility. Now, someone with less character than Ab Abigail might say, this is a good day to get rid of Nabal. I hear women saying amen all over the room. And I don't hear that well, so that must be a real resonating kind of point. This is a good moment for me to step out of the picture and let him get what he deserves. I mean, 400 men coming with swords, that's not going to be pretty. It's not going to take long. And he'll be gone. But that's not what she does. This woman is not thinking just about herself and her self-survival. She's thinking about her household. She could have started over. After all, she's beautiful. She's wealthy. I mean, she's got a thousand goats. Who wouldn't want a thousand goats, right? <laughs> she's got everything she needs to start over. And yet, at the same time, 
She takes responsibility. She begins to ask questions like, what about my husband? What about all those household workers? What about all we've worked for all of our lives? What about all those things? And it rests on her to do something about the situation because Nabal's a worthless man. She knows it. The Bible knows it. The servants say it. He's not going to step up and do anything, so she takes responsibility. Now, 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 get this. Please get this in your mind. Some situations are not fair, nor does it seem fair that God allows them, but they exist, and we must respond. If you're waiting for a fair situation so that you can respond to that, you might be waiting a long time because things are not always fair. They don't always seem just. Sometimes it seems like God does not recognize all that we're going through. There are times we don't get to ask why. There are times where we don't get to unravel all that has led up to that point. We just have to respond, and this woman does. She is loyal. She is faithful. She's got others on her mind, not just herself. And she steps up, and she steps up quickly. She surveys the situation. She assesses her resources. She knows she can bring food together. She prepares her appeal, and she stands in the gap alone when nobody else would do it. And in doing so, she saves her life and her family. When I was growing up, my mom, one of the sweetest women I've ever known, uh, rescued me one day, myself and two friends of mine. We had been floating down a river near our home, and uh, we basically ran out of water and ran out of energy. The boat wasn't going anymore, so we got this John boat up off the bed of this dry river, and we dragged it across the farmer's field, not thinking about what we were doing, trying to get to a road that wasn't too far from our hometown. And uh, what we didn't know was that this farmer had some prize oats, state fair prize Oats that he was growing, O-A-T-S. If you don't know what that is, you have to look it up. But oats, and uh, he was offended that these three boys would drag this boat across this field. He was yelling at us. He was screaming at us. He was threatening us. I seem to remember, I don't know how good my memory is, it seemed like he had a shotgun in his hands. I mean, (laughs) man, oh, man. About that time, my mom, who had discovered where we were, showed up in a truck. We didn't even own a truck. She showed up in a truck. She gave instructions to the three boys, including me, and said, put the boat in the back of the truck, get in the truck. And uh, have you ever heard that term, mama bear, describing a woman? My mother went into mama bear mode. I'd never seen it before. It scared me to death. It must have scared that farmer to death, too, because he put what I thought he had a gun. He put a gun up, and he went back in his house, and she said, come on, let's go. I don't know what she said or what she did, but I know that she took responsibility for something that was really my fault and those boys' fault, and she intervened for us. At that moment, on the spot, I'd never seen her do it like that before. Gratefully, I'd never seen it again after that either, but reality is she did what was necessary. Sometimes we have to just take responsibility for those that we love, that we care about. Second thing she does is she shows respect. She shows respect. In verse 23, it says, When Abigail saw David... She hurried and dismounted from her donkey, and she fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. So get the scene. When David's coming down the mountain with all these men who are hungry and they're angry and really have murderous intent upon Nabal, she is coming to meet them as they come down that mountain. She knows that David has been disrespected, and she determines to show appropriate respect for this king to be. He's not on the throne yet, but he's been anointed. He's got power. He's got the ability to do what he's trying to do, 
but she shows respect in every way. In fact, and you read that text, 14 times in her very limited conversation with him, he uses, she uses the word, my Lord. Each time that she addresses him, it's my Lord. In fact, I count 24 times in these verses that she shows respect in one way or another. Now, I'm just going to pause and say respect is a big deal for everybody. But it's especially a big deal for men. And the Bible points that out. If this were a marriage series, I might jump over to Ephesians chapter 5. We're in verse 33 after details about how a man and a wife should respond to each other. Verse 33 makes this statement in summary. He says, therefore, let each man love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. In other words, when Paul sums up the marital relationship between a man and a woman, he makes sure that the man knows the woman needs unconditional love. He makes sure the woman knows that the man needs respect. And Abigail seems to understand that principle. By the way, that's not the only place you find this principle. It's all the way through the Bible. It's a principle God will use over and over again. And here she is showing respect. And immediately as she shows respect to a disrespected man, he begins to calm down. Woman's got wisdom. I'm going to give you that principle I promised to give you a moment ago. Here it is. Love and respect is the language of reconciliation. The love-respect idea. It is the language of reconciliation. It's the language of relationships. If you want to have reconciliation, you must love unconditionally, and you must give respect, even if it's not earned. The love is not earned. The love is given unconditionally. You must give them both. And if you don't do that, reconciliation is not likely. In relationships, are not going to be strong. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do, to love unconditionally or to give respect to someone you don't even know. And quite frankly, David didn't look very respectful at the moment as he was coming down that mountain ready to slaughter the whole household of Nabal. And so she gives this to him. And it has a profound impact on David and his destination. She shows respect. Thirdly, she exercises restraint. She exercises restraint. There's a verse in verse 26. The wording is great. It's, it's Abigail saying to David something that hasn't happened yet, but she wants to happen. In other words, here's how she says it. She says, my Lord, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand. Now, she's speaking about it in past tense. You notice what she's saying? David is going to go shed blood. David is going to Take revenge. And she says, since the Lord restrained you, and since you're not going to shed blood and take revenge, she's already there, and he's not there yet. That's one of the most amazing conversations I've ever heard. But what she's doing is she's articulating for a king to be the way he ought to be acting. She has wisdom. She's gone ahead. She's thought through the scenario, and she says, since you're going to restrain yourself because you're going to eventually realize this is not the best plan. And as she says that, she says some amazing things. She's basically saying to David, show restraint. Now, I have a, a particular conviction that Abigail, being married to Nabal, has shown restraint most of her married life. I believe that she knows what it means to be under unfairness. I, I believe that she's asking David to do what she's been doing for years. I want you to show restraint because I've shown restraint. If I can do it, you can do it. 
Basically, she's saying to David, if you cause bloodshed today, it will stain your future as king. Don't do it. That's what she says. That's the essence of her word. She models for him what she wants him to exercise, and that's just good leadership. She speaks to him in a critical moment, great words that he needs to hear. And I want us to notice this moment. I don't want us to miss this moment. I want your attention. This is so important. It's so very important. Men especially, I want your attention. There are times that the absolute smartest thing you can do is listen to the perspective of a woman that is placed by God near you. And when God places a woman near you and speaks up with wisdom, the smartest thing you can do is to listen to her and factor that into your decisions. And the dumbest thing you can do is ignore her. Men, you ought to be the one clapping. <laughs> because God provides the wisdom of a woman at times that a man don't, doesn't have. So here's a woman in the wilderness that doesn't know this king personally, modeling behavior for the future king. Think about your future, she says. And one of the greatest kings in history stops and listens to this woman with more wisdom than he has. If David can do it, we can do it, right? Because God uses this woman in a phenomenal way. Now, I can't help but think of many instances in my life when I charge forward in some direction, my wife will speak up with a voice of, of reason and wisdom and help me see a very different perspective, and I need that perspective. So let me just show you a little bit of insight into what's going on in her mind. If you go down to verse 32, there's a word there that I, I really hadn't had a chance to do a deep word study on this until the last few days. It's not included in the book, not included in anything else I've said about this woman, but the word is discernment. Because David says, blessed be your discernment. If you go back into the Hebrew to look up this word, it's a word in the Hebrew that means to taste. Like to taste a stew that's being put together and then to judge, to taste and judge. Now, there's a lot of insight of this word, so stay with me for just a moment. David, like most men, is very linear. He's thinking of one thing. It's between me and Nabal. I'm going to get Nabal. All the whole circumstances between me and Nabal, Nabal and me, and me and Nabal and nobody else. Abigail steps into that situation, and she can taste what the future is going to be like if that happens. She knows the ingredients for peace, and she knows the ingredients for chaos, and she's tasting chaos. And she basically says, with her discernment to David, you don't want where this is going. See, what's happening is Abigail is thinking not only of herself as she's thinking of Nabal and her household. She's thinking of the flock. She's thinking of all that they've worked for, and she's thinking about God. She's thinking about all these things, and all David is doing is going, me and Nabal, me and Nabal. And that's why when she spoke up, David stopped and said, she's thinking about more things than I am here. She's thinking about my future. Now, I know that's just a sidebar, but it's a very, very important sidebar. She exercises restraint, and God gives her incredible influence with David at that moment. But here's the biggest thing she does. The biggest thing she does is she remembers God. She remembers God. If you look down in verses 27 through 31, Abigail is talking about God one sentence after another. I'm going to read those verses today. Let's look down in verse 27, if you would. And we'll read from 27 down to 31. Let's see. 
Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young man who accompanied my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil will not be found in you all your days. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound up in the bundle of the living with the living of the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies. And he will sling out from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord does for my Lord, according to all the good he has spoken concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or troubled heart to my Lord, both having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself when the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservants. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. It was a J. Oswald Sanders who said this. It was a great word. When we lose sight of God, we become reckless. And that's what's happened to David. David has lost sight of God. But Abigail is talking about God. And he's talking about her, uh, God, in such a great deal of respect. It's just amazing. And it's a game changer. As she starts talking about God, David also starts talking about God. In fact, in verse 32, David responds by saying this. Then David said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment. And blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. David says, you're right. I was going to create bloodshed and try to get revenge, but you have stopped me in my tracks. The God conversation is what helped David realize that this woman was not just beautiful. She was not just intelligent. This woman knew God. And she was trusting God the way David had trusted God in the past. This is not about me and Nabal anymore. This is about me and God. How will I respond to the thing that's happened? In many ways, Abigail is like a rope in between the tug of war between Nabal and David. And that's a tough place to be. But everything she did demonstrated that she believed God was going to intervene on her behalf. And it's her character that stands in stark contrast to Nabal's stubbornness and David's anger. Let me tell you, when things are down, when chips are down and things are tough, you need to remember that your character is what will get you through. Someone has said character is both forged in fire and revealed in fire. So if you're in a tough situation, if it's toxic, if it's difficult, if circumstances don't look great for you, stay true to who you are. Stay true to the character God has forged in you. Now I'm going to pause just a moment to say this because this story doesn't end in every life the way it ends here. But let me just say, regardless of the ending of this story, whatever your story is, it's still the right thing to do to respond in honor and respect and with truth, no matter how it turns out. Do the right thing because it's the right thing. Now, this story turns out well. That's why the third point here is the comeback God orchestrates. Now, some of you have heard me teach over the years know that I consistently go back to an illustration of the chess master moving the pieces on the chessboard around just as he desires, that God ultimately is in control. And I believe that about every individual. I believe that about every character in the Scripture. And that's what I see happening here. God has placed Abigail in David's life at a critical time when David otherwise would have made a disastrous mistake. And this comeback story is a great one. Let me show you some things about it. First of all, it's never too late for peace. That's what we learned 
from this story. David actually says, go up to your house in peace. Now, peace is promised. There's another storm to weather still. Peace doesn't happen immediately. She's still got to go back and tell Nabal. And she knows that he's not going to respond well at all. But here's God coming up in the fourth quarter at the very end, almost seemingly too late, and he's going to give her grace and rescue her in every way. We say this so often, God is rarely early, but he's never late. And I find that to be true, don't you? Rarely early, never late. He'll always come through. So she's going to go tell wicked Nabal what's happened, and she knows that it's not going to be a good conversation. Guys, let me have your attention for a moment. We've talked about women for a while. Let's talk about Nabal for a moment. You know, Nabal is not the central character of this story, but you can't ignore him. And in the same way that Abel, or that Abigail rather, is a sterling example of a great woman, Abigail is, then Nabal is the perfect picture of a worthless man. Just look at Nabal's life. He's self-centered, he's selfish, he's foolish, worthless to his family, he's disrespectful, and he doesn't have to be that way. He chooses to be that way. Abigail could have been all those bad things, but she chose to have character. She chose to follow God. And in the same way, Abigail chose her character, Nabal chose his. And at the end of his life, everything was wasted. Now, I'm going to be quick to say, Nabal is not a picture of all men, just some men. Just like Abigail is not a picture of all women, just some. But the reality is we ought to aspire to not be a Nabal. We ought to aspire not to be worthless, not to be insensitive, not to be all the things that Nabal was. And God was going to give Abigail peace but he was going to have to take Nabal out of the picture. And he ultimately did. Ten days later, after she told him, and he, he, he was stunned into submission, into quietness, God took his life. And sometimes that's how God brings peace to our life, by removing people out of our lives. It's hard, it's difficult, but that's how he does it. You also need to see from Abigail's story that it's never too late for love. Never too late for love. In verse 39, we see that David sent a proposal to Abigail. But before you get to that proposal, look in verse 39 at what David actually did. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, and he has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal. He's kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. The first thing David said when he heard about Nabal's death was, Blessed be the Lord. He held me back from doing this. God took revenge on my enemy. God did all this. That's the first thing he said. But the second thing he said was, David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. That's why I say it's never too late for love. It's really kind of amazing. He sees the value this woman has in his present life and in his future life and his future kingdom. The Bible says she's beautiful. The Bible says she's intelligent, but there's more to it to David, I'm sure of it. He sees her wisdom, her discernment, and says, I need that kind of discernment for the kingdom that I have inherited. She has become indispensable to him. Later on, David's son Solomon writes it like this in Proverbs chapter 31. Charm is deceitful. You know this verse. And beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, women, listen to me. Don't get caught up in Instagram beauty. Get caught up in Abigail wisdom. That's what you need. That's exactly what God wants for our lives. It makes one indispensable. Never too late for love. 
Finally, it's never too late for a new beginning. The Bible says in verse 42, Abigail quickly rose, rode on a donkey with her five maidens who attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. After all the threats, after all the fear, after all the concern, taking all the risk, Abigail is given the chance for a new beginning, and it's a great story. We don't get to read it. The Bible doesn't refer to her much at all after this moment, but it's a great movie ending. Don't you think so? It's got everything a great movie should have in it. It's got threats. It's got war. It's got violence. It's got food. It's got romance. It's got everything. If you think the Bible is boring, you're not reading well enough. It's got everything in this story that you would want to have your attention focused on how this story unfolds in this life. It's a reminder that God can do new things, build new comeback stories, tell new chapters in lives, even after the mess. Even after the mess. If you're in a toxic relationship, don't look for a handsome king. Look for a wise God and let him advise you and lead you and guide you. You know, I love the fact that the Bible shows us these comeback stories. Ultimately, the greatest comeback story was when Jesus died on the cross and was buried and on the third day rose again. You talk about overcoming something, overcoming sin, overcoming death, overcoming Hades and hell, overcoming Satan himself, all so that he could give us life, all so that he could walk with us in life to give us the kind of discernment and wisdom that Abigail had, to give us the kind of restraint that David eventually had, to show us how to live life in a world of toxicity. You need the wise one in your life, Jesus Christ, and he offers himself to you if you'll Put your faith and trust in him. Let him be your Lord and your Savior. He'll give you the Holy Spirit who will live with you and day by day guide you through all of the messy stuff in life, encouraging you and convincing you that God redeems even your circumstances. If he'll redeem your life, he'll redeem your circumstances. In just a few moments, we're going to give an invitation, and that invitation will always be one of two or three things. First of all, I'll always invite you to stop by the invitation stations. They're lit up now, and they'll be there as you go out today. You may want to stop and talk to someone about the idea of putting your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's one of the most important decisions you can ever make, and if you put that off, why would you put that off any longer? Because Jesus has done everything necessary for you to have an incredible life with him, an incredible eternity as well. Secondly, I invite you to come to our guest reception room. It's right outside the center exit door. Across the hallway, I'll be there to greet you. We have a book, a free book, God's Not Done With You. If you're a first-time guest, we would love to invite you there, and we'd love to give you that. Thirdly, I invite you to invite others to come back next week as we continue this series. Next week, the life of Elijah, the depression, the discouragement of one of the premier characters in the Old Testament, and how God rescued him from that discouragement and depression. You know anybody that's depressed or discouraged? Reach out to them this week. Tell them they'll hear a story that'll inspire them. Would you stand with me as we have this closing word of prayer? Father, I'm so thankful today for your goodness. In spite of all the toxicity that we face, the difficult relationships, the difficult circumstances, God, you're here, you're there, you're present, you're, you're wise, you, you give us all we need. Lord, I pray today that those that are struggling today will reach out to you, find their salvation in you, but also find their wisdom in you. And Lord, today, draw us to yourself. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us that you'll come through for us. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.